Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy this story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Huia Burt. Huya is a co-founder, director, and the chief strategy officer for the Energy Collective, which creates and scales digital businesses that disrupt energy retail markets. Huya studied engineering science at university, and her first job after uni was as a business risk consultant with Ernst & Young. She then moved to Ireland and worked as a quantitative analyst with a hedge fund. Following that, she returned to New Zealand and worked for six years for Mighty River Power, which later became Mercury Energy, and she worked there in risk and investment. And in 2014, together with two high school friends, she founded Electric Kiwi, which is now part of the Energy Collective. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more about her career journey today. Kia ora huia, and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora Anna, and thank you very much for having me on. It's a real honour to be here amongst your guests. Wonderful, and uh, I'm really delighted to have you here. And I know you said you'd listened to a couple of the podcasts beforehand, so you probably know what my first question is going to be, which is I'd love to take you back a a wee way, back to when you were a child. What careers were you thinking about or, or dreaming about or even aspiring to? I can definitely tell you that I never imagined I'd end up where I am today, that's for sure. Probably, I think everyone says that, but when I was a very young child, I really loved reading and writing. So I think my very first career that I dreamed of was being a writer or a novelist and um, writing all these books that I always had my head in most of the time. Yeah, that was something that I do still really love reading and writing. But yeah, it wasn't something that I ever thought that that ever came to fruition. But yeah, I think over, over the years when I went through school and then went through high school, I started to get more interested in in mathematics and physics and I went through a stage, well quite a long stage really, when I was a teenager I watched the 1995 America's Cup like most of New Zealand and got pretty excited about that and decided I wanted to be a racing yacht designer and I was actually very set on that for quite a while and it was actually what drew me to engineering school. I had this dream that I would become a a racing yacht designer and travel the world, note all these exotic locations and be behind the scenes and in that type of world, which is, yeah, it's it's funny to think back and think about what you thought was going to be a kind of a glamorous or exciting career at the time. But yeah, that's kind of two of the things that I thought I might end up doing, which obviously I haven't. Yeah, really interesting. And as you said, how interesting to go from that real interest in reading and writing to then more the mathematics or the quantitative side, which you then sort of pursued through your career. But I love that very specific career choice of a racing yacht designer, you know, it's um, it, it's not uh, some sort of, I want to be a broader teacher or a lawyer. It's very specific, but I can see absolutely how something like the America's Cup would inspire that passion. And then you did then study engineering at university. What was it about that that interested you, apart from obviously wanting to be a racing yacht designer, but what, you know, what was it there that you found really interesting? 
Well, as I say, I've always been, yeah, through my high school years, I really started to get interested in in mathematics and physics, chemistry, did all those subjects. And I saw engineering as a great practical way of using those skills. I think at the time it was the late 90s and the other thing that was happening at the time was the dot-com boom. And so the the idea of software engineering and starting companies and, and entrepreneurship through engineering really started to become something that while this was happening a world away from Fakatane, it was very much an idea that I found really interesting and really engaging. And so when I thought about my interest areas and then the types of careers that that I wanted to aspire to in business, then I thought, hey, engineering, it's a great professional degree. It gives you a great grounding in so many areas. And it's, yeah, it it was going to be challenging and that was very important to me as well. So that's what drew me to engineering school. Mm, And so interesting to hear of see that sort of the dot-com piece coming into your thinking around engineering at the time. But also interesting to think kind of 15 or so years later, there you are with the technology startup. There's a really nice circularity there. Yeah, absolutely. And then you started your career at Ernst & Young, what's now EY, before then moving over to Ireland and and working at a a hedge fund, as, as we mentioned. If you think back to that period of time, what were some of the highlights, but also some of the challenges of those first few years of your career? Yeah, so my first, I think when I went through engineering school and then I was on this path doing engineering science, which is very technical, focused on mathematical modelling and software engineering. And during that time, I really started to think, hey, I want to get more of a broad introduction to the business world and the way that businesses operate. And so in my final year of university, I started applying for the consulting type roles that come up. So the kind of more broad management consulting roles where you are exposed to a number of different businesses. And the role I landed was with Ernst & Young as a business risk consultant. So what we did is we went out and we performed week to month long internal audits of business systems and processes. And again, we talk about circularity and business processes really my, you know, the bread and butter of setting up any startup. But that particular role was a a steep but really helpful learning curve into understanding a business process quickly, making recommendations and also presenting those to management. So you do get kind of thrown in the deep end a lot. You're supported, but thrown in the deep end a little just in terms of having to go and, and, and quickly understand something. And then write a professional report and, and present that. So it was a really good grounding in in the corporate world and how that works. But I did, after a period of time there, really realise that that career path wasn't for me in terms of that big four and accounting, going up to partnership. I think I just felt like I wanted to be in the business rather than standing back from it and consulting and and making recommendations. I actually wanted to be in there operationalizing it. I decided at that time that I wanted to get more back and and into doing more of the the software engineering and the the technical side that I'd trained in. And so when we went to Ireland, I very much had an idea that I would go and and look for a a software type role. And 
at the time talking about I think time and place is so important in career there is a, a, totally an element of timing I talked about in my university career it was the dot-com boom well when I went to Ireland it, it was the Celtic Tiger years so everything was booming Ireland was one of the fastest growing economies in the world and they had a very low corporate tax rate which meant that a lot of financial institutions were actually going and setting up offices there and working out of there to take advantage of that. So on arrival, I saw a job advertised for a hedge fund quant, which is a quantitative analyst who needed MATLAB skills, which is a very specialist, specialised type of mathematical modelling software, which I actually had used extensively at university. So I did know it inside out. So even though I had no finance background, I did know the software and I knew that I was a, a fast learner and so I went along to the interview and, and fortunately I got that job and that was my first exposure to the world of startups because it was a startup hedge fund and it was run by, I was employee number one and it was run by a Russian guy who was a ex-Morgan Stanley fund manager and he was trading what are called quantitative strategies, so quite complex, but effectively arbitrage on treasury bonds and, and credit instruments and some quite complex, uh, running some quite complex mathematical models. And so, yeah, I, I basically went there and I, it was my job to take the ideas um, in terms of the models and, and create them and put them into software and run the back tests and all those types of things. So that was a, a great experience for me. I really found that absolutely from the get-go really interested in what in finance and immediately kind of set about learning as much as I could. And I learned so much on the job, I have to say. I also learned a lot about just startup culture at, at the time. Um, Vlad, my boss, was a super hard worker. I felt like he never slept. Uh, he lived on Diet Coke and store-bought sandwiches. So he probably wasn't the best example of the kind of work-life balance that we try to bring at the Energy Collective. But he was a really fantastic employer and taught me so much and really supported my stay in Ireland too. So at the time, on a working holiday visa, you could only stay there for one year, but we ended up being there for, for three years, which was great. And he sponsored me through that. Wonderful and great to have that support. It really struck me as you were talking earlier about it, that you approach those roles very much with about how much you could learn and gather and what experiences almost you could collect and knowledge you could gain through that time. Just that real attitude and approach of learning throughout that time. Absolutely. And I think when I think back, I think, well, it, it took a little bit of, of confidence just to go and say, hey, hey, look, I know nothing about hedge funds, but I do know how to do the modelling that you're asking for. And I'm pretty sure I can learn relatively quickly. And so I think that's the type of attitude you really need to take 
early in your careers. Just take those opportunities and you can learn so much on the job at the Energy Collective. Well, one of my founders, uh, fellow co-founders, for example, had never worked in the electricity industry or energy industry before starting this business. So you bring the skills that you do have and that, that will be more than enough. So looking back, just that, yeah, just to have that confidence and say, I don't know everything, but I know enough and I can really offer something to this business. Yeah, super. And then you mentioned the world of kind of electricity and energy. And, and when you returned to New Zealand, that was the the area, I guess, the industry that you moved into. And what was it about that appealed? Well, that's another interesting story of timing as well. So in 2007, the global financial crisis hit and the hedge fund that I was working for in Ireland was what, what you call redeemed. So the investors take their money back out of it. And it was actually without losing too much of the original value, which in hindsight was a very considered move by the investors because we all know what happened after that. And so it was kind of difficult to see that because I'd got into the finance industry, I'd got very set on it. And I really saw this as this is my new pathway. It combines um, mathematics and this new area of investments that I found that I was really passionate about. And I was quite set on this career in finance and had decided on this qualification that I was going to do when I got home. And suddenly you see, wow, all these external events have suddenly occurred. And first of all, seeing something that I knew had so much hard work had gone into had effectively closed shop within, you know, a few months through external, through that event. And secondly, it then affected my future career path because it was, everyone was battening down the hatches and there wasn't much hiring going on. So it definitely gave me a lesson that no matter how much hard work is put into something and the talent that you have, there's really quite a lot of timing and luck involved as well. And so when we came back to New Zealand, yeah, the, the number of finance roles was fairly minimal and an alternative role came up at Mighty River Power. And I remember talking to the recruitment agent and he said, hey, well, you won't be valuing treasury bonds, but you will be valuing, uh, you can use exactly the same skills to value geothermal power stations and they're looking for someone in their investment team. And I had a little bit of exposure to the electricity industry, first through my university days and then also at Ernst & Young, I, I did some reviews of, of some of the large electricity companies. So I wasn't a complete electricity newbie, but I saw that opportunity and thought, hey, this at this time, this, this sounds like it could be a great opportunity for me to you know, use those skills and apply them in a different area. Yeah, super. And then you've stuck with electricity because from that you, of course, joined up with a couple of high school friends that you mentioned before and then decided to create your own startup. So tell me a bit more about that journey. Yeah, okay. Well, I think it was in late 2013, I'd actually left Mighty River Power, which is now Mercury Energy, and I was consulting on a part-time basis when I got an email from my high school friends, Philip Anderson and Julian Cardos, who are now the other co-founders of the Energy Collective, basically just saying they had an idea about starting an independent electricity retailer to disrupt the New Zealand 
and Australian energy markets. So it, effectively, that was very much the idea from the beginning. And the vision was for a online-only electricity retailer, which would have no call centre, which was quite revolutionary a few years ago, and would serve homes, only serve homes with smart meters. And that would act to reduce operating costs and also enable product innovation. So Phil just said, hey, we're keen to give this a crack. And Julian's coming back from India. He'd been in India at the time and said, you know, would I help them build the business and help them get a regulatory license and kick this off. And I was just immediately taken. I thought, hey, here is the here's the opportunity I've kind of been looking for in terms of uh, using the skills that I've built up and, and getting back into that startup space. So I was really excited about the opportunity and, and said yes immediately. And there were a few reasons at the time why we thought that the idea really had had potential and that the market was ripe for disruption. So the electricity market was deregulated back in the 1990s, but the retailing to households kind of continued to be dominated by the really big companies and they were tied to legacy IT systems and there wasn't a massive amount of product innovation happening or really fierce competition in the sector. It was very much generation dominated. And so the regulators had noticed that, you know, competition wasn't really improving despite this deregulation. And so they actually made a few tweaks to the regulatory process just to make, just to reduce the barriers to entry for smaller players. At the same time, the smart meter rollout had occurred. So a smart meter effectively records electricity usage every half hour and the data is sent remotely. So that reduces quite a lot of the operating costs and also eliminates estimated bills. But no one was really using this data. They were still just sending a monthly bill. Sometimes it would be estimated, sometimes it wouldn't. There was no innovation going on around that, that smart meter data. And the final piece of the puzzle for us was open source technology was really developing at a rapid pace and becoming more commonplace and becoming more credible as an option to build a low cost back office system. So instead of having to go out and procure quite an expensive IT system to service and bill our customers, we could actually look to build our own in a really cost efficient way and in a way that we could really deliver the product innovation that we thought the market was missing. How fascinating. And uh, thinking about it, it's not dissimilar to what's happened in other industries, whether it's, say, retail banking, where you've got your big established players, and then with more competition, smaller players come in who are much more technologically savvy, don't have the big overheads, and are trying to disrupt. Really, really interesting. What do you really love about your current role, your current work that you're doing? So my current role is Chief Strategy Officer for the Energy Collective. So the Energy Collective was born out of Electric Kiwi, which was our first startup, which was just retailing in New Zealand. And now we have Electric Kiwi in New Zealand, Reamped Energy in Australia, which is another online electricity retailer, and then Nest Developments, which is our technology arm, which does all the software architecture and development for our digital retail electricity platform. And so my current role is Chief Strategy Officer for all those businesses, which is they all come under the Energy Collective. And so I'm accountable for strategy and risk oversight. 
as well as our insight and project delivery. So I love that. It's a very varied role, but the main thing I try to do is focus on the big picture and the opportunities and risks which will have a significant impact on the value of our business overall. Every day is different, but yeah, I love everything about it, the people and the business and the industry really. And so the people I work with are just really creative and intelligent and just every day I'm just blown away by the passion that they have for doing their best for each other and our customers. And we have a really diverse team and every location has its unique culture, but there's just these common threads of care and hard work and having fun, which runs through it all. So we just have a great company culture and that makes coming to to work every day an absolute pleasure or, you know, logging on every day as it is sometimes. I also just love that it is a dynamic growth business. And so we are really trying to grow as quickly as we can and we have the freedom to make change at pace. So there's never a dull moment there's always a problem to solve and there's always an opportunity around the corner. So as Chief Strategy Officer, I have more opportunities to sift through than we do have kind of hours in the day. And that's a fantastic problem to have. And then I think the final thing that I really love about the role that I, that, that I do at the moment is actually the energy industry. And I've kind of told you my story about how I came through this relatively circuitous path to, to energy, but it's actually an, an amazing industry. And we're on the precipice of enormous worldwide change in how we generate, consume and share electricity. And the coming transition to a low carbon world is just this huge complex challenge that everyone across the world is going to be a part of. And it's just such an exciting opportunity to create a more affordable, accessible and greener world for everyone. So that is something that I'm super passionate about now. And I just think we really have such a fantastic opportunity as the Energy Collective to make a difference in this area. Wonderful. And so it's not just about creating a business, but it's also about having a positive impact on the world as well. Absolutely. We've talked about some of the things that you've learned, some of the skills you've developed, some of the things that you really love about your work, but no career is ever easy without its bumps and twists and turns and challenges along the way. What have you, for you, have been some of the biggest challenges or toughest challenges that you've had to face? Yeah, I definitely have had challenges along the way. And I actually think these challenges are really what help you grow as a person. I think I said just before that when I, when Phil and Julian contacted me about starting Electric Kiwi, which is now the Energy Collective, I was working um, part-time in consulting. And in my late 20s and early 30s, I actually had a number of health challenges, which really shaped my career path and also my thoughts about work and life and and the balance between those two. So in my late 20s, I was working for Mighty River Power. It was quite busy. We had the IPO going on where where these big electricity generator and retailers were being partially privatised. And I was also doing some postgraduate study and doing a qualification called Chartered Financial Analyst, which is 
a three-year qualification, quite intense. It's it's almost like the, the they say it's like the technical version of an MBA. So you, you're really to solidify that finance knowledge. And quite suddenly, I developed chronic pain in my left um, left arm. And it was nerve pain, so it was quite difficult to correctly diagnose. And instead of really, you know, thinking about, okay, well, I need to stop what I'm doing and I need to focus on my health, I really just tried to hide how bad it was. And it would come and go, and I'd think I was getting better, and then it would come back. And I just felt like I couldn't say how bad it was because I just felt eventually they, the doctor said, well, it's a it's an, it's a nerve issue and this could be related to stress. And I thought, hey, well, I'm just a mid-level <laughs> person at, at Mighty River Power. I, I, I shouldn't have this happening to me. And so it was really difficult for me to accept that was happening. And I tried to hide it. And I think it was because I defined my self-worth a lot and working hard and not being able to do that, I felt quite lost. And um, at the same time, well, in my early 30s, while that was still going on, I also started fertility treatment. And this is a really personal experience for everyone. And it's something that I haven't really felt very comfortable talking about until the last few years. But again, I really tried to hide that. I didn't tell anyone at work, told very few people and I just kind of soldiered on with both these things happening in the background and used to make all kinds of excuses why I'd have to pop out to this and that. And it really was quite a, you know, tough time in my life because I felt that I was suddenly, the, the career path or the life path that I thought that I was on was suddenly potentially not available to me because of these challenges and I really started to to doubt my self-worth as I said so that was a real challenge and my turning point was really when two of my former managers at Mighty River Power kind of met me for a coffee and they could see I was really struggling but they also knew that I was a very hard worker I was really passionate I knew my stuff and I had a lot to give in the right environment and so they offered me a, a role part-time in their consulting business. And I just will really never forget the, I guess, the compassion and belief that they showed in me at that time, because that was what I really needed. I still needed to feel that I had something to give, but I just couldn't give it 100% of the time. And it really did, it really did change everything for me, because while the challenges around that that nerve pain and also the fertility challenges, they didn't go away. They were still there. I just learned to manage it and I learned to also share what was going on so that I did have the opportunity to focus on my health when I needed to. And so when we started the Energy Collective or when we started Electric Kiwi, because I was starting that with my school friends, I was able to share with them, well, you guys already know what's going on because we're, we're good friends and I never felt like I had to hide anything. And yeah, that, that meant that if I needed to take a morning off or go to this or go to that, then I could. And most people will tell you, hey, if you're experiencing nerve pain and you're going through IVF, probably getting into a startup, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. But actually for me, it 
worked out perfectly because I was finally able to really share what was going on in the background. And so I can't really emphasize how much these two things have kind of changed my view on the way that, you know, I view work and life. So I like to think that I'm a little bit of a cautionary tale and I like to tell a story to people because you just really never know what life has in store for you. And you can have a career plan, but a lot of it will be out of your control. And and one day you might wake up and, and think, oh, actually, I can't really use my hands. That's a bit weird. And so I think the most important lesson that I've taken out of it is just to just to really share your struggles because people will be compassionate, they'll understand what's going on and they won't cast you out in the wilderness. They'll know that you've still got a lot to give and that you just need a bit of time to step back and and get well again. So that's been a real learning for me and I like to take that type of compassion into our business, into the way that I manage people now and really try to understand what's going on in the background because I think if you have everything going well in life then you'll be able to give your best at work. And thank you for sharing those two quite personal stories. What I like about it is it's just that recognition that our career doesn't happen somehow separately from the rest of our life or our health or our well-being. They're absolutely intertwined and so when we talk about career, it's important to talk about ourselves more broadly, but also just that through your own struggles and through sharing them, you've been able to actually then influence the culture of your organisation now to, as you said, to be one that operates with care and compassion um, for the people that work there. So thank you for sharing those. I think they're really good as you said, useful stories, maybe cautionary tales to uh, to share with others. Yeah, and it's interesting now because we, I look at the the culture that we have within the Energy Collective and think that's absolutely what every business should aspire to is allowing people to bring their full self to work. But I think there's also a that you need to allow yourself to be vulnerable as well and not be too private because people will really understand what's going on and it's just been this massive shift I think in the last few years in terms of and with the pandemic and everyone working from home that we've realised hey health and wellness is absolutely such an important part of our business it's the absolute number one for our people we make sure our people they're happy they're healthy things are going well for them in the background and we support them as much as we can. And then we know that they can bring their best work, not just here's the work to do and you deal with everything else um, in the background. And how do you now find balance between your work and, and the rest of your life? Well, I now have um, two beautiful young children, which I'm eternally grateful for, but that means that I'm not sure whether there's much balance in my life, just a a little bit of probably a lack of of downtime, but I really wouldn't have it any other way, and I just try to be grateful for the fact that I am able to um, have a full home life and work life, and being one of the founders of the business, I've actually been able to maintain my role in the business through two periods of parental leave and the various demands of home life, which has been great. I did take parental leave, but I also remained as a director of the business and was able to continue to to keep an eye on what's going on. 
and yeah, I just try to I, I try to work quite flexibly and I would do a four day week and then try to spend one day with my kids at the moment and that's been working really well. And also just trying to have a fantastic team at the Energy Collective. So we put a lot of faith and a lot of delegation to those guys and know that they'll do a great job. And so that's a good way of maintaining balance as well as delegating as much as you can and having faith in, in the awesome people that, that you've got around you. Yeah, super. I think it is a really important point, actually, is about sometimes, whether it's maybe because of perfectionism or because, you know, we want to somehow maintain control that we hold on to a lot of stuff for ourselves, but actually delegating and being comfortable with with recognising the talent you've got around you, hopefully, to be able to delegate to can make a big difference to balance. Super. And Huya, we talked about some of those tough moments in your career. As you look back on your career to date, what have been, flip it round, what have been some of your proudest career moments? Well, I have to say that for me, a, a moment that really stands out is the day that we took on our first customer for Electric Kiwi. And that was actually me because we signed up my house. And it was just a real, hey, we've done it moment. We've actually, we've gone through this whole process. We've built this system and we have have absolutely built it from the ground up and we've taken on our first customer and we're on the way to achieving our goal of disrupting the New Zealand electricity market. And today we have over 110,000 customers across New Zealand and Australia. Our customers have saved over, I think it's heading up towards $40 million, which is amazing. Like that, every time I think about that, it really makes me think, wow, that's $40 million or customers now have to spend on their families that they mightn't have had otherwise. And that's a really cool moment. So we hit 100,000 customers a little while ago. That was a great milestone. And I think just every time you hit these milestones, you do look back and think this is really making a difference and where else can we take this? Where else can we go from here? Super. As you say that, you know, one customer is really important at the start, but also now 100,000 and more customers is also a fantastic milestone, but also that that's still filling your bucket in terms of actually dynamic growth, seeing what's more, what more we can do, the impact that you're having that's, that continues to drive you and, and drive the business as well. Super. Yeah, and now that we're more well-known, when you tell people we work or what you do, they'll say, hey, I love Electric Kiwi. I love my hour of power. And that is just such a great feeling to know that people are really enjoying the, the product that you've created, that they're saving money, that they're using that money on something that's more important to them. And yeah, I just get a real buzz out of that. And I know the rest of the team do as well. And so that to me, just to know that, People actually really love their power company, that it's not a it's not a grudge. Per, well, it's still, electricity is a necessity, so obviously everyone still needs to purchase it. But if you're going to have to, then if you're having a great experience out of it, if you're getting great value, if you're getting awesome customer service, then absolutely, that's our goal. And that makes me really happy. And alongside that kind of, right, we're growing the business, it's that, as you said, the personal conversations with people who are customers and, and hearing their positive experiences of something that is still an, a necessary purchase. I think I'm sure that is great. And as you think about your career now, where do you see your career heading into the future? 
I actually don't think about my career as such. I, but I do spend a heck of a lot of time thinking about our business and where we are heading and how I can make that happen. And so the world of energy and the world of electricity is going to change so much over the next few years. And my thoughts are, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a world that's more affordable, that's greener, where renewable energy is the norm, where, you know, we we focus on uh, this low carbon future, which really um, delivers for future generations. And so that's really where I see my career heading is being a part of this really exciting industry, continuing to disrupt it, continuing to execute on opportunities for the energy collective. And then I think on a more personal level, I really want to just become a better manager and really help to grow people and find ways of working which really deliver on our people's personal and professional goals. So giving people as many opportunities, sharing learnings like this so that I can say, hey, this is one way of doing it. This is what I believe in. How can I help you grow? How can I help you today? Because it's really your business is only as good as your people. And so for me, yeah, it's really about growing the people, looking at those opportunities and renewable energy and thinking about the business in that way. And whatever part I have to play in that, then I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah, great. And I think, you know, it's not all that common, I think, for people to have a very clear 5, 10, 20-year perfectly formed career plan and vision. And as you mentioned yourself, it's that might even be sometimes unwise because you don't know what the world might throw at you or what life might throw at you. So being open to those opportunities, but I think it's really nice now to hear you found that path and being able to create an organisation that, you know, that is hugely fulfilling and motivating for, for you all the time. Um, and one last question I'd have for you, Huya. If you, I was wondering, what career advice would you have for other women? Well, I think my advice would be try to not listen to too much advice, because I think that <laughs> as females, we are just absolutely inundated with information about how we can live our best lives, and whether that's in life or work or relationships. And all it really does is act to drown out your own gut instinct and that gut instinct might be telling you to take that opportunity or hey I think you need to step back and look after your own health and I received so much advice when I was going through tough times and what I really needed to do was to go deep down and kind of listen to myself so I definitely as I say I, I wouldn't want to give too much advice except Just really try and listen to yourself and I think deep down what's the right thing to do. I think that's wonderful advice, but without it trying to be advice. But I I would agree with you and about how we are bombarded, inundated with so much advice around us. And I think often we try and, uh, somebody talked about it the other day as being almost like a cacophony of advice or ideas that come at you. And instead, 
actually taking the time to listen and go, well, what's important to me? What do I need? What's, what, as you say, that gut, that intuition, what's that telling me? Because that's just as, if not more important than some of the advice that's around you. It's really excellent advice. There, <laughs> who are you? Yeah, good stuff. Even though I tried not to give advice. But, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least the advice is listen to yourself. So uh, <laughs> it's a good one. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you today and hear about your own journey from those early days of engineering. You didn't quite make it into being a yacht designer, but followed a really fascinating path anyway to Ireland, back here again, and obviously creating an organisation that's seeking to have a really positive impact, but also for yourself, having a fulfilling life alongside it. So thank you so much for sharing your journey. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Anna. It's just, as I said at the start, it's a real honour to be here among your guests. I just love the fact that you've got such a diverse and talented group of women to speak about their career paths and I've loved listening to them and just yeah really grateful that that you've taken the time to have a chat to me as well. Oh and I'm really grateful for you sharing your story so uh, thank you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.